Get your Bibles, please. If you have one with you, go to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. If you don't have a Bible, we have these uh, notes, and there's lots of scriptures on there. One of the scriptures is incorrect. We, we have a typo there. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, not 5, and I'll mention that later in the sermon. And sometimes that happens, and, and so I want to let you know about that so you're not searching for that later. But thank you so much for being here. I hope this message is a blessing to you. Uh, this message will not win uh, Sermon of the Year awards. I guarantee you that. Uh, it's just uh, uh, something that the Lord has been working on my heart. I hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that it hits you uh, it hits you in the heart. That's what I'm hoping for today. Romans chapter number 12, look at verse 1. These verses are my life verses. I try to write a message every year out of these two verses. It's like a gift that keeps giving to me, and God just keeps giving me uh, something new each year. Uh, so Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2, let's read them together here. Uh, let's read together, starting in verse 1. Ready, begin. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I wish I could preach verse 3. I don't have time today. But those two verses right there are packed, packed, with everything that we need to know about the Christian life. If you got saved today and all you had was those two verses, you'd be all right. If we would just learn to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Last Sunday, we began the series Surrender with the message, Victory Begins with Surrender. I asked the question, is there anything in your life you need victory over? And almost every hand was raised last week. If I ask the same question today, truthfully, we probably all would raise our hand again. We all have things in our life that we need victory in. I'm talking about victory in our marriage. I'm talking about victory with our kids. I'm talking about victory over a sin or an addiction or so on and so forth. Victory begins for the Christian with surrender. And while salvation, coming to Christ, is the miracle of a moment, surrender is the process of a lifetime. Every day we get out of bed, surrender is there. So what have we learned so far? Last week, we talked about Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was, uh, the Bible says, it was given a test by God. He was asked by him to give the most precious thing in his life, to offer Isaac, his only son, the son that he loved, back to God as a sacrifice. This might seem like a strange thing for us uh, that God would do that, but remember, God was using this illustration as a foreshadowing of what was going to happen with Jesus Christ, as God gave his only begotten son for us as a sacrifice. And so this might seem like a strange thing. And how was Abraham able to follow through on that? As Brother Padillo mentioned a, more, um, a few minutes ago, how it would be hard for us to give up our children. How was Abraham able to do that? Two things. Abraham surrendered to God's sovereignty. Abraham trusted that God had a plan. God will provide himself a lamb. Secondly, Abraham surrendered to sacrifice. He was prepared to offer the most precious thing in his life. What a sacrifice. Abraham... What happened to him was because of Abraham's faith. What happened because of this decision that we made? Abraham was blessed, and then he was blessed, and then he was blessed, then he was blessed, and blessed, and blessed. Amen? Amen. Because of his faith towards God, God reciprocated for that with blessing. The Bible says that all of Abraham's generations after him would be blessed. As a matter of fact, God blessed his, his generation so much 
But the Bible says that anybody who stood with and blessed Israel, they would be blessed as well. Thank God that America has stood with Israel. And I pray that we continue because we are blessed because of how we treat that, that nation of Israel. And so we understand today what, what, that, what that meant with Abraham. But, but what does this mean for us in 2021? Let's bring it right down to where we are today. What does this mean, as Paul says, to be a living sacrifice? We understand that victory begins with surrender, but victory begins with surrender, but victory in the Christian life is sustained through sacrifice. And so we're going to talk about that today. What does it mean? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Let's pray together. We'll ask for God's help today. Lord, we come before you again. We ask you one last time before this message. Holy Spirit of God, please work in this room. In a room this size, this full, no doubt somebody's phone's going to ring. No doubt, uh, no doubt somebody's going to need to have this and that. Lord, I pray that you just help us to glue into you and focus on you. I pray for our members at home today. Some are sick. Some couldn't be here watching online. I pray that they would be blessed by the message. I know there's many families in the overflow watching this on a screen. Lord, I hate it that they're in there, God, but I pray that while they're in there, Lord, that they'd be able to see and be able to hear and listen to what's being said. Lord, please don't uh, let me get in the way today, God. Holy, Holy Spirit, use the words that are preached, the, the scriptures, God, today to break through the stony crust of our hearts and get to that fleshy part, Lord, that you can change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? What does that mean? We know that in the Old Testament, there was this thing called the sacrifice system. And aren't you glad today that we don't have to be a part of that system any longer? The closest thing we have to a sacrifice system is an old-fashioned Baptist potluck. And all God's people said, amen to that. I mean, bring the pig, bring the cow, whatever we got to do. But we're not a part of that sacrifice system. What was the sacrifice system in the Old Testament? What was the purpose of that? Well, it was very simple. There was some problem at God's people, Israel, there was a lot of sinning going on. People just kept sinning. How many say that wasn't a problem back then? That's still a problem today. And so sin was an issue. Sin was a problem. God is a holy God, perfect and just. And so when God looked upon his people, he could not continue allowing the sins, these evil deeds of mankind. That would not be just. It would be like if you saw a crime take place, it would not be just for you to walk away from that and not say something. It would be, it would become your crime. You should, you should help. You should do. And so we understand this morning that God God could not look upon these situations and God had to do something about them. And so God set up a sacrifice system for his people. Why? Why? What was the purpose of the sacrifice system? Let me give you an easy definition of it. The sacrifice system was God's willingness to take a substitute on behalf of a sinner. A substitute. They would bring a goat or a lamb. A a blemishless, a perfect goat or lamb. In some cases, they would bring something else if they didn't have the money for that. And they would bring those animals to the temple. Why? So that the priest could sacrifice them. And then that sacrifice, God would accept as a substitute for their punishment. It was a substitution. But every single Old Testament saint that was following through with these sacrifice systems, they knew in their heart that God had something bigger planned. God had something more planned than just the sacrifice. Matter of fact, the Old Testament prophets could see past the sacrifice system and they could see beyond time and they could actually see God showed them that someday something bigger was coming. Oh, and that person did come fast forward to AD zero when John was standing on the side of the road, the last great prophet, even though he grew 
grew up under the sacrifice system. The Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter number one, verse 29, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him. John was baptizing in repentance and John was out there in the wilderness crying and all of a sudden here comes Jesus Christ and he yells out, he yells out, here he comes, here he comes. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Oh, stick with me here. When the Old Testament saints would bring those sacrifices to the temple and they would kill that goat and that lamb, it did not take away the sin. It only covered the sin. It only hid the sin. But in their heart, they still felt the guilt. They still felt the shame of what they did. It did not take away the sin. Oh, but let me tell you something today. When Jesus Christ came and he died on that cross for you and me and his blood was shed, he became the perfect sacrifice for you and I. And I don't know about you, but my sins are gone. He taketh it away. It's not in the bottom of the ocean. No, he took it away from me. My sins are gone. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I said, hallelujah. My sins are gone. And guess what? Along with my sin, my guilt, my shame, and all those other things go with it. Amen to that. And so we see here in the Old Testament, the prophets knew this was coming. Isaiah 53 verses three, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs, the prophet says, and carried our sorrows and we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. Notice the prophet Isaiah, thousands of years before Christ would die on the cross, knew that this was gonna happen because God showed him. Verse five, and he was wounded for our transgressions. Listen, Christ was on the cross and every drop of blood that was shed was for you and for me. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of his peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All All we like sheep are gone astray. Isn't that the truth? We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, of us all. That word iniquity means sin. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And he was brought, notice this, as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before the shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. Oh, Romans 3.23, for the wage of sin, the penalty of sin is death. Aren't you glad? Jesus paid it all. For the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid it all. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Hey, listen, he paid all for our sins, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know if you've thought about this lately. I don't know if you've thought about this lately, but something has to happen for our sin. When we were born, I don't know what age you did your first sin. I don't remember what age I did my first sin. I know this, kids are sinners. Amen to that. I'll never forget my sons, man. Uh, uh, I don't know, my wife, maybe my wife taught them how to sin, but I didn't teach them how to sin. I'm just kidding, she didn't. She's not in here, notice I said that. Anyway, uh, but I'll never forget, man, that Ethan, my first son, he's 15 now. I'll never forget when he, uh, when the first time I remember it, it logged away, Mrs. Hammonds. I remember this. He reached his hand in his mom's purse and he looked back to see if we were looking. Where did he learn how to do that? It's in here. Well, I mean, man, I can't get off on that. I got to keep preaching, but I'm just simply saying we're all sinners for all have sinned. When was the last time you thought about the fact that Jesus Christ came? Well, I, my sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Then we get to Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now with the context of sacrifice in our minds, the Old Testament version, and then of course Christ, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, yet by one man, one man's death, he paid for it all, amen? So what about us? 
What is this living sacrifice? What is Paul talking about? A typical sacrifice, when it is sacrificed, it's killed. It ceases to exist. But Paul says we're supposed to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? That's the message today. Three things. Number one, God wants our all. Let's say that together. Ready? Begin. God wants our all. We talked about that a little bit last week. But let's not forget, God is looking for all. He's not looking for some. He's not looking for half. He's not looking for part. He is looking for all. Sacrifice. When we are a living sacrifice, we are sacrificing our all. This is a different type of a typical sacrifice because we are not ceasing to exist. We continue to live. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Why does Paul say that? In other words, what he's saying is, I'm begging you guys. I'm begging you, church, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. What does he mean by the mercies of God? He's talking about Romans chapter number one through Romans chapter number 11. He is saying all of these things, all of these benefits, all of these blessings from salvation, all of the mercies of God. I challenge you to read Romans chapter number one through Romans chapter number 11 and count how many blessings, justification and atonement and redemption and all these things that we have, grace, 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 all of these wonderful benefits that we have in Romans chapter number one through chapter number 11, all these mercies. And by the way, let's not forget that God is a merciful God. All these mercies, all these mercies. And Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, literally I implore you that you present your body a living sacrifice based upon all these mercies that he has given you. You know what that tells me? And it tells you we have a choice. You have a choice to do with your body what you want to do. Amen? You have a choice. That's why Paul says, I beseech you. I beseech you. Why? Because we have a choice with what we do with ourselves. He says to present your body a living sacrifice. Oh, may I just say this today? Why do we think that we deserve the benefits of Christ's sacrifice, but we ourselves need make no sacrifice? Why do we, Brother Asprelli, feel like we deserve all the benefits of Christ's sacrifice, but we feel like we don't need to sacrifice? Why does Paul say to sacrifice our bodies? In verse number one, why does he say that? And then he makes a distinction in verse two. He says, in our mind. So what what does he mean here? I believe that God is trying to make it very clear and being very clear here that life in Christ is not just an emotional experience. It's not just a state of mind. The Christian life is not just existential. We don't just come to Christ in our mind and pray. And that's why it's important to recognize that Christianity is just about much as about our body as it is our mind. God doesn't just want us to have an experience, an emotional experience. No, God wants your physical being. God wants your hands. Are you listening this morning, Brother Paul? He wants my feet. He wants my mind. He wants my eyes. He wants my nose, I guess. He wants it all, amen? God wants it all. And he doesn't just want this emotional experience. I think that that Christians, many Christians today in America have a very false perception of what worship really is, a false perception. Now, listen. Well, I go to church and I love to raise my hands and I love to praise God and I love to, I, love to, I love to sing the songs and I just love to praise God. Listen, that's a part of worship, but that's not the whole picture. I love to come to church and I love to sing. I love the celebration of worship. I love to come and sing and, and hear songs and praise God. And I love those things, but that's only half the picture. No, true worship is sacrifice. If I come to church and I love to praise God and sing God, listen, My Sunday worship is only valid if my Monday worship is good. 
God doesn't want me on the altar just on Sunday, praising and praying. No, he wants me on the altar on Monday. He wants my life on the altar on Tuesday. And Wednesday, he wants my life. And on Thursday, he wants my life. And on Friday, he wants my life. Why do I think I'm a Christian? Because I come to church and wave my hands in the air and I sing a song when Christ says, I want you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. No, no, no. No, worship is sacrificing on the altar. You don't get off the altar. I told you this wasn't going to be a, in the magazine of message of the year. Because we don't like to sacrifice. We don't like to sacrifice. Our Sunday worship is only as valid as our Monday worship. What is the act of sacrifice? It's a solemn separation of our physical attributes, our eyes, our ears, our hands, our feet, in devotion to God. My life, my physical body belongs to God. Are you listening this morning? My body, not just my heart. That belongs to God too. But no, he wants my body too. He wants my body too, Brother Asprella. He wants everything. I'm a living sacrifice. God wants my all. The act of sacrifice for us sometimes is difficult, but worship demands a sacrifice. Your Sunday worship, I'll say it one more time, is only as valid as your Monday worship. Worship demands more than just a song. It demands sacrifice. Let's avoid the misunderstanding that Christianity is just in the body or just in the mind. No, Christianity, real sacrifice is both. It's married together. Would you take your Bibles and go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm about ready for a double-double animal style, brother. Come on, Brother Perry. I see that look in your eye. I know what you're thinking about. I'm about ready. All I had today was half a muffin. I'm ready to go. Amen? (laughs) 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 19. What? Paul says, know ye not that your body, your what? Body Body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own. Oh, for we're bought with a price. Jesus paid such a high price for you. He paid such a high price for me. Oh, how we forget that. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God is looking for glorification through my body. My body ought to bring glory to him. We'll talk about how we do that in just a moment, but let's not miss this. Please don't miss this. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we are making a decision. Listen to me, please. When we accept, some people are confused about salvation, what it is and what it isn't, and there are people that fight about this, but it's very simple. When we come to Christ, we are making the decision to follow Him. That's salvation. The decision point to follow Christ. When I say, okay, that's it. I'm not going to trust in my church background. I'm not going to trust that my dad was a pastor. I'm not going to trust in all the good deeds that I've done. And and, and listen, yes, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner and I recognize he made the sacrifice. And so following Christ, getting saved is a point in time when we turn to Christ and we say, okay, God, I am yours. I am yours. Come on now. I am yours. Some people pray and they say, God, I don't want to go to hell. Would you save me? That's not salvation. Salvation isn't a get out of hell free card. Salvation is a decision when we choose in our life to follow Christ and say, okay, I am yours, God. I am yours, whatever you want with me. And listen, I know that we go back on that. I know that we sin. Thank God for grace. For by grace, are you saved through faith? I understand that you can be saved. It's as simple as a prayer. Some people say, well, you can't just pray and get saved. Well, how do you get saved then? 
The Bible says in Romans chapter number 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know about you, but I can't get a hold of God on my cell phone. I got to pray. Amen. So for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, listen, if you want to know Christ as your Savior, all you have to do is pray. But when you pray, it's more than just one, two, three, repeat after me. It's a turn. I said, it's a turn. It's a turn. When you say, I, I am no longer going to accept my, my religious background. I'm no longer going to accept my baptism. I'm no going to longer accept these 12 steps that I did. No, forget all of that. It's all what Christ did on the cross for me. My sin is paid for. I'm going to trust in that and that alone. That, my friends, is salvation. And then you put yourself on the altar and you say, God, thank you for saving me. I am yours. My life is yours to control. I give you my heart and my soul. It makes me wonder sometimes when folks, they come to Christ, but boy, when they don't want to surrender to God. They don't want to surrender anything. They want to hold everything back. I don't understand that because I, from what my Bible tells me is he died for me. Why would I hold? Why do I think that I can accept what he did for me and not return it? I don't understand. Following Christ is admitting I needed a sacrifice for my sin, choosing to offer myself in return. Listen, when you got saved, you signed the dotted line. <laughs> I mean, remember, I remember, Patrick, you ever bought anything and immediately you walked away and thought, mm, I don't know, I should have done that. <laughs> you know, you sign the paperwork, you think, Ooh, I don't, how am I going to be able to pay for that? And, you know, you buy a house, it's like, you know, the, the paperwork's like that thick. And listen, when you got saved, it's a wonderful thing. But this is what you signed up for. This is what you signed up for. What? No, your, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. You're not your own. If you claim to know Christ, then your body doesn't belong to you. You don't get to decide what you do. It's my life. I'll do whatever I want. No, sir. When you came to Christ, you laid your life down. You said, God, I will take salvation. But in return, I'm giving you my all. I'm giving you my all. Coming to Christ is more than just a prayer. The Bible says, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? First, it means that God wants our all. These next two points are a lot faster. Number two, God wants us alive. How many say thankful for that? Amen. Amen. Hey, God. <laughs> it's not dead or alive. He just wants us alive. Amen. And so praise God for that. Hey, we are to be living sacrifices. What does that mean? Let me give you an illustration. I know this is kind of a goofy illustration, and this is the only thing I could really think about. And so, I, I, so, so just stick with me, okay? You ready? How many have ever been to JCPenney? Most of you. How many have ever been to Macy's? How many of you have ever been to a department store? Okay, good. Some of you didn't raise your hand. It's worrying me, but that's okay. All right, so maybe do all your online shopping. So you go to a, a JCPenney, and you're walking around, and you know, you're having a good time, and, and all of a sudden, you feel someone staring at you. You know what I'm talking about? You don't want to look because you're worried what's going to happen. And so you're standing there, and you feel them just staring at you. Why are they staring at me? And they're not moving. And then you turn around, and you realize it was a mannequin the whole time. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know this is a dumb illustration, but stick with me. What are mannequins? Mannequins are plastic people. They're made to look like humans, but they're not. They're mannequins. Make no mistake, a mannequin is not alive. And how many are thankful for that? That's the thing of nightmares. The other day, well, this is a while back. I was a teen soul winning, and we had all the teens with us on a bus. We were driving around town, and I'm talking to the teenagers, and I look out, Brother Wiley, I look out the window, and I see this guy standing out there, and he's holding a mannequin. So I thought that was kind of weird. By the way, I was going to bring a mannequin this morning, but they're very expensive. So I just didn't get one. But anyway, um, I, I saw him holding me. I thought it was weird. And then I looked and he had his garage open and his whole garage was filled with mannequin parts. How'd you like to be that guy's neighbor? <laughs> yeah, Uh-oh, it's right. <laughs> Call 2020. Amen. Anyway, so make no mistake, a mannequin is not alive, but it has a purpose. 
The mannequin has no life of its own, but its sole purpose is to show you what you would look like in those clothes. There's another word for what the mannequin is. The mannequin is a display. He is displaying its purpose or her purpose is to display the clothing that's for sale. As you walk past the mannequin, you see the clothes on that mannequin and you see what you would look like if you were seven feet tall and had a 24-inch waist, but you see what you would look like in those clothes. Are you with me? What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? What it means is this. We're alive, but we're dead. You and I, we have a life, but it's not our life. Our life has a purpose, but it's not our own. Galatians chapter number two, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so my life, even though I, 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 I'm a person and I, I'm here, but really I am dead and my life is, all my life is, is a display. I'm a living sacrifice. My life is a display. What am I supposed to be displaying? I'm supposed to be displaying Christ. I'm dead to my will. I'm still alive, but I don't have a purpose. My purpose is now God's purpose. I'm still alive, but I'm supposed to follow his will. Not my will, but your will. My will, God's will for my life is display Christ. We're Christians. That means we're little Christ. We're supposed to be Christian mannequins. We're supposed to show others, Patrick, we're supposed to show others what their life would be like if they had Christ. People ought to be able to look at us and say, man, that's what I want. I want what he's got. Can I have what he's having, please? Can I just tell you this morning, listen, where are the Christians today? Where are the Christians today that are more interested in showing people who Jesus Christ is than they're interested in their own image? Who are the people, who are the Christians today that are more interested in showing people who Christ is than they're interested in their own riches? Where are the Christians today who are more interested in showing people where Christ is than they're interested in their own careers? Where are the Christians today that are more interested in showing people where Christ is than they're interested in becoming their own person? Where are the Christians today who are the displays for Christ. The problem is, is we've become not mannequins for Christ. (laughs) We've become camouflage Christians. We like to blend in. We don't like to ruffle feathers. I don't like to ruffle feathers either. I've ever had chickens. They don't want their feathers ruffled. I don't like to ruffle feathers either, but I want to say that my life is supposed to be, it doesn't mean that I wear a trash bag and act weird all the time. No, what it means is, is that people ought to look at my life and say, man, he has joy in his life. Man, instead of getting mad and, and waving at me on the freeway, he, he let me in. Instead of getting mad and pushing my shopping cart, he let me. Being a display for Christ is being kind and being loving and showing the grace of Christ in our life. Oh, listen, can I just say, where are the Christians that want to do that? How are we displayed? How are we displayed in our life? What does it mean to be a, displaying a living sacrifice? Stick with this. And I'm, uh, this point will be done. My next point is very quick. I say this carefully because I don't want you to misunderstand what I say, but you understand that people are not going to come to Christ because of our prosperity. When we sacrifice for Christ is when people, it brings people to Christ. We're supposed to be a living sacrifice. There are churches that teach and there are places that will teach you. You come to Christ and you can live your best life now. You come to Christ and you can have a, you can have a wonderful life. And, and listen, that's not what Christ said. Think about the rich young ruler. When he came to Christ, he came to him. He said, I want to follow you, Lord. He said, great, go home, sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful. Why? Because people that come to Christ looking for for prosperity are coming to a false gospel. No, we don't come to Christ looking for prosperity. 
We come to Christ looking for a sacrifice. It's scary, but the world needs a church. The world needs Christians where Christ is worthy of our sacrifice. Why would my neighbor come to Christ if I'm not even willing to come to church? Why would my friends trust in Christ if I, with their eternal souls? Why would they trust in Christ if I'm not even willing to trust him with my life as a Christian? Why would my children grow up and follow Christ when I'm not even willing to follow Christ? Why the world needs Christians who are, who Christ is worthy to them. The world needs Christians who've died to their own image, who've died to their own riches, died to their own comfort, died to their own prosperity. The world needs Christians who display Christ as their greatest treasure. Christ, why, why is it so important to be a living sacrifice? Christ should be our greatest treasure. And all God's people said, amen. amen. He ought to be my greatest treasure. Christ should be, he gave me everything. He should be my everything. Should he not? Oh, the world needs Christians. When they see you, they see sacrifice for Christ. They should see sacrifice. I think about missionaries who sacrifice. I think about people in this church who sacrifice. Listen, the world ought to see that Christ is our greatest treasure. In Matthew chapter number seven, the Bible says, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. Straight is the gate. Narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And this is an interesting statement. And few there be that find it. I wonder why so few find it. Where are the Christians that will lay their life on the altar and say, I'll be a display Where are the Christians that say, I'll be a guidepost for the gospel. I'll be a sign for salvation. Make me a lamppost for love. Make me a display for the way. Listen, we ought to be Christians that help people guide them on the way to the straight gate. I'm going to say, I want a life where I guide people to that straight gate. I want to guide people to that straight gate. But the truth is, the many, mo, many Christians, many, many Christians today, they live their life. If somebody saw you, they wouldn't be able to find heaven with a magnifying glass. We ought to live in such a way that our life is like a mannequin pointing to Christ. Oh, we're so concerned about what's the, what should we do? How should we do it? And the rules and this and that stuff. Listen, I understand that. But listen, when you come to the altar and you say, God, my life, Lord, is yours to control. I give you my heart and my soul. Make me a mannequin for you. Amen. I hope now every time you go to JCPenney's, that's what you think about when you see a mannequin. All right. All right. So. God wants our all. He wants us alive. Let me finish this out. Number, number three here. God wants us acceptable. He wants us acceptable. Romans chapter 12, verse one. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Conformed and transformed are polar opposites. It's like yin and yang. Don't be conformed, be transformed. In other words, God doesn't want us God doesn't want us fitting into the mold of the world. He doesn't want us to be shaped like the world. Are you listening this morning? God doesn't want us. God wants Christians that are different than the world. Churches are trying to be more like the world to reach the world. That's not what God said to do. He said to be different. He purchased us a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Listen, I'm not saying that we're like, you know, wear tinfoil hats or something. But I'm saying here that we ought to be, there ought to be something different about the way that we do things. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody help me today. I'm telling you, there ought ought to be a difference. Listen, there ought to be a difference in our attitude at work. Ouch. Brother Asprell, you need to hear that. (laughs) If you don't know Brother Asprell, he's our assistant pastor. He's got the worst attitude out of all of them. Just kidding. He's amazing. Oh, we ought to be different. 
I mean, understand that we ought to be different. When somebody comes into our place of business, we ought to be the ones that are different. When we do business around town, we ought to be different. You know, the other, the other guy that left the table, he didn't tip. He left it a mess, but not the Christian. No, he left a better tip than he should have, and he cleaned up his mess. He had a good testimony. He's a Christian. I mean, I'm talking about the guy at work who doesn't uh, try to skimp by and not work hard. I'm talking about he's the one that works the hardest. Because he's not working for the boss who doesn't like anyway. He's working for Christ. Yeah. Amen. I'm talking about at school, you're not the one trying to get away with everything and cheating on the math test and trying to, you know, no. You're the one that's doing exactly what you're supposed to do and even more than what you're supposed to do because you're a Christian and you're different. I'm talking about the one who doesn't cheat on his taxes. I'm talking about the one who doesn't skimp off the top. I'm talking about the one who doesn't take stuff that's not his. You're a Christian. You ought to be different. Amen. There ought to be a difference in us. Yeah. You were all with me until I said the thing about cheating on taxes, so I'll move on, all right? <laughs> They're like, oh, amen, nope, not there. Okay, amen, yeah, no. Yeah. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm almost done. By the way, this message was for me. I was praying and just asking God, what, what do you want me to preach on Sunday? And I always pray and ask God that, but he really started hitting me hard right here about my sacrifice. What do I sacrifice for God? How, do I, how am I a living sacrifice? Can I be honest with you? I don't, always want to, <laughs> I don't always want people to know I'm a pastor. What do you do for a living? Uh, I'm in eternal investments. Uh, I, uh, I'm in the people business. I'm in the speaking business. Sometimes I don't, want to, I don't always want to be the pastor. Sometimes I want to slide under the radar. But you know what? God needs a display. Sometimes I don't want to be this guy. Sometimes I just want to slide. Come on, anybody else with me? Hey, listen, I'm talking about the high school student who goes to school and you don't want anybody to know you're a Christian. God needs somebody in that high school to be like this. And so they throw an egg at your face, but you keep pointing to Christ and saying, listen, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. He's the one you need. He's the one you Hey, listen, does, do you think some high school students need Christ? Yeah. You think some guys or ladies at your work need Christ? Do you think somebody on that, fo- on that football team or that soccer team needs Christ? Yes, but they need somebody to say, you can even do that too, just be like, don't have that look on your face, though. Amen. Is that my phone? I don't know whose phone that is, but all right. First Peter chapter number one, look at verse 15. Look at what it says. But as he which has called you is what? Holy. So be ye what? Holy. Let's try that again. So as he has called you is holy. So be ye what? Holy. Are you in First Peter chapter one? The notes say First Peter five. I told you that was, that was a misprint. Be holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation, it means lifestyle. It means that God... God is holy. How many believe God is holy? Okay, we all believe it. So God is asking for us to be holy in our lifestyle. Now, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We sin. We do things that we're not supposed to do. Isn't that not the truth? But God is looking for a people that are striving for holiness. Well, but by grace we're saved, and we can do whatever we want. That's not what the Bible says. Matter of fact, Paul even said that in the book of Romans. He said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because the Bible says that where, grace, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. The more I sin, the more grace there is. So because that's the truth, and by the way, that is the truth. Thank God for that. Even though sin abounds, should we continue in sin? And Paul said, God forbid. No, no, that's not what grace is for. Grace isn't so that I can do as much sin as I want. Grace is so that I can continue to grow in holiness and God doesn't fry me like a potato chip because I'm not holy. Because I'm not. Amen. That's grace. God loves us and he gives us room to grow. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, lifestyle. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And here's the hardest part. The greatest sacrifice, the living sacrifice that we must make is the sacrifice of our flesh every single day. We wake up in the morning 
our flesh says, I want to do this today. And you like stay in bed. Amen. (laughs) And we have to sacrifice our flesh every day. Our flesh wants to look at whatever our flesh wants to look at. Our flesh wants to go wherever it wants to go. It wants to think about wherever it wants to think about. Our flesh has a will, but that flesh now belongs to Christ. That flesh now belongs to him. We have to sacrifice to him every day. I don't know, maybe you're here. I don't know if you're baptized or not, but what does it mean to be an acceptable sacrifice? In the Bible, it says that after salvation, you should be baptized. It's the first step in believer's baptism to show that we are, we are saved. Some people uh, get baptized when they're infants, and some people get baptized at different times in different ways. But the word baptism, first of all, means immersion. It means to be dunked under the water. That's what baptism means. Okay, so let's just cover that. So baptism. But I, I want to just say something here for real quick. My wife and I got married 16 years ago. She was in the first service. We got married 16 years ago. I'll never forget when I asked her to marry me, Brother Jeff. I was so nervous. I was so nervous. We went to the beach. It was beautiful. You ladies would have loved it. Went to the beach. I was nervous. It was in my pocket. I thought, I'm going to fall in the ocean. And it's going to be swept off the sea. I'll never get married. I'll die lonely. And so I was so nervous, and I wanted to ask her, and I kept trying to work up the courage. You guys know what I'm talking about. You're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to ask her, you know? And, and so I got down on one knee, and, and I got down, and I said, Laurel, will, will you marry me? And she just looked at me. She goes, I don't know what to say. <laughs> and I said, you could say yes. That would be good. Yeah. And she did. And of course, <laughs> so spoiler alert. But anyway, she said yes. And so a couple years or a year later, whatever, we got married. Now we stood at the altar together and there's like three people in the room today that are going to be married here in the next few weeks, few months. And uh, you'll stand at the altar soon. Brother Wiley, come on now. You're going to stand at the altar soon and you're going to do the, the, the wedding ring thing, right? And you're going to put the wedding ring on each other. Now at the altar, you're getting married. The decision is being made. It's been made. You're, you're getting married. That's a lot like salvation. Salvation is a point in time in your life where you decide to follow Christ. It's a decision. You have to make that decision. So in your life, you say, okay, you know what? I'm tired of trying to work my way to heaven. I'm tired of trying to follow this religion over here. I'm tired of trying to count on my baptism, count on this. I'm trying to count on all this stuff. And so at one point in our life, we make that decision and we come to Christ. So my wife and I, we made this decision. Okay, I need to ask somebody a question. I need somebody really smart. Brother Paul, don't get this answer wrong, brother, please. A lot of pressure here. Me, okay, your pastor, am I married? Yes, I am. Yes, okay. I got married. Okay, don't miss this. Don't miss this, brother. Am I still married? Yeah, oh, good, he got it right. Hey, man. No, <laughs> yes, you are. Okay, I'll ask you the same question. Am I married? Am I married? How about now? How about, okay, we can keep doing that, buddy. Baptism is a symbol of a decision that I made. The wedding ring is a symbol of a decision I made. When I get baptized, I am showing the world, hey, I made a very important decision. I decided to follow Christ. The New Testament Christian that got baptized, they were signing their death warrant. When the New Testament Christian got baptized, he was saying, I'm preparing for death. Peter was crucified upside down. All of the disciples were martyred except for John. John was boiled and was, according to tradition, boiled in hot oil, but he survived and then exiled to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation from. Many of the first century, second century, third century Christians were burned at the stake, murdered. Why? Because they were baptized. They showed the world that they were saved and they signed their death warrant. Now for us today, baptism isn't quite as extreme, although for some it is. I had a man last week, literally last Sunday morning, 
I was preaching the message on surrender. Before I finished my message, he came down to the altar. Here's what he said to me. He said, after the service, he came by my office the next day. He said to me, he said, pastor, he said, I was baptized as an infant. He said, I, 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 that's what I was taught my whole life. He said, I realize I've been saved. I need to get baptized after salvation. He said, but when I get baptized in this church, he said, I'm turning my back on all everything I've ever been taught. That's a big decision. Him and his wife both are getting baptized on May the 2nd. Excited about that. I had another man tell me, I, I grew up this religion, but when I get baptized, it's like I'm turning my back on my family. Moises, you know what I'm talking about. Was, for some, it's, it's very a big decision to get baptized, but it's a symbol of our decision that we make. What is that symbolizing? When you stand in the water next to me, and, or here usually, I'll ask you a question. Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Are you sure you're going to heaven? Any doubts? Do you, have you asked Christ to save you? Are you? Do you know for sure you're going? And they'll say, yes, yes, I have. I've decided to follow Jesus. And then I'll hold their, their head and I'll hold their nose and I'll say, I baptize you, my brother or my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then I'll say this, buried in what? The likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. When we get baptized, it is a symbol of our death, our death, our fleshly death. <laughs> and this is the hardest thing for us because we are supposed to die to our flesh every single day. Paul says this, it's our reasonable service. How many would say this, that it's reasonable for Christ to ask for everything from me? About three of you. How many of you Christ died for you? He gave you your all. He gave you his all. He paid, he paid it all. All my sin is gone. I signed the dotted line. How many say it's, it's my reasonable service? To put myself on that altar, to say, God, my life, Lord, is yours to control. Oh, Christian, are you living a life of living sacrifice? What does it mean? Does God have your all today, your body and your mind, your soul? Does he own everything? Is your life on display for God in sacrifice for him? Is your life acceptable? Are you living a holy life trying to work towards that? And listen, I know we fail, but we're trying to work towards that. Victory begins with surrender, but is sustained through sacrifice. I love the song that we sing, is your all on the altar? How many have ever sung that song? Is your all. Have you longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase? And have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Church, I want to challenge you today. Maybe today is a good day to say, God, I'm going to put myself on the altar today. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.